Good day, everybody. I'm David Irvin. I'm a leadership development specialist and a best-selling author, and we want to welcome you to the Leaders Navigator podcast. The premise is simple. The podcast will provide you with insights for living and leading the authentic way so that you'll be better equipped to amplify your positive impact as a difference maker in any area of your life. And what's uniquely special is that I'm doing this podcast together with my daughter, Haley, and I'm super excited about this opportunity to work jointly on this project that we are both so passionate about. So stay real, as we say each episode. So Haley and I are going to start to expand. We've had some great conversations these last few episodes, and we're going to expand what we've been doing and bring in some other people for some conversations, people that we respect and admire and who have, in our mind, have made a difference in the world by taking what we call the authentic journey. And, you know, as we say, leadership is nothing to do with your title. It's about who you are as a person. It's about presence. It's not your position. And our premise is that as you take the authentic journey and be who you're meant to be in this world and, and live in alignment with your truest self, your truest, highest self, this is where you make the most difference. So we have a very special guest today with a very special story. And I'm just going to tell you who this guy is. His name is Ramsey Bryant. Now, Ramsey Bryant, I have three daughters. You are, we got one daughter here, Haley. Well, my <laughs> oldest daughter, Melissa, was at one time married to Ramsey. <laughs> and Ramsey went through a very challenging time in his life and, and uh, cost him a marriage. And we kind of wrote you off, Ramsey. We kind of said, you know, the guy's just not going to make it. And you yeah. went through a transformational experience and have since come back into Ethan, my grandson's life, and are showing up as a father. And you have an incredible story. And so we are just both, I am really interested in hearing this story today. Uh, Haley, is, before we turn the time over to Ramsey, is there anything you want to add to my introduction here, Haley? Yeah, I just want to chime in, Ramsey, too. Like, I've spoken to, to Ethan, you know, my nephew, your son, a lot over the last couple of years, and he brings you up all the time, and he's so proud of you. Uh, and he's just told me all of these great stories about all of his time that he gets to spend with you and how much he cherishes that time. And he just really, really, truly looks up to you. And I don't know if he, being a teenage boy, I don't know how often he, you know, expresses that to you. Um, but uh, I'm sure you know that. But it's just really cool to be able to chat with you because he's so proud. And I've heard so many awesome things from him. So <laughs> and that was not where things were a few years ago. So Ramsey, no. welcome to the welcome to the Leaders Navigator podcast. And I don't even know where to start to help you get going on a story. So I'm just going to turn the time over to you and let you share your story in whatever way you want. Okay. All right. Uh, well, like you said, I'm Ramsey. Used to be married to Melissa. I believe we were married for uh, 12 years, I think it was. Something, something like that. I, I'm, I'm sure I could be wrong in there or something, but uh, yeah, we were married for uh, 12 years. I think we were together two years before that, but um, I guess, uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just start at the end of the marriage. Uh, pretty much, you know, uh, I got, we got divorced and um, uh, oh God, I don't know. 
Actually, let's, let's go back. So even before the marriage, and I guess the whole reason, I, I guess maybe in my eyes or why we got divorced is I was doing a lot of pills. You know, I was, I was kind of pretty much addicted to uh, pills at the time, you know, hiding money from Melissa and doing this and that and stuff. And it just, you know, she had enough, which, you know, who could blame her, you know, after this time. I wasn't the guy who she married in the beginning, for sure. I was somebody totally different, you know, addicted to pain pills. That was my whole life was getting pills, you know, every day. Because, uh, you know, once you get a... Uh, addicted to them, it becomes a, a physical addiction, you know, it's pretty much kind of like a synthetic heroin. And uh, yeah, I was just addicted. And that's where I was. And she had enough and I can't blame her. And, um, you know, we went our separate ways. And uh, where did that where did that addiction start, Ramsey? How did you because you weren't you were not an, a, an addict coming into this relationship? No, well, <laughs> how, how did the where were the origins of that? You know, if, if I'm being, you know, completely honest and, and everything, you know, I was smoking weed a lot, you know, uh, and then I, I, as I got married, Melissa didn't like it when, you know, before we got married. So I just kind of quit, but not really quit. I was just kind of, you know, I'd go out with my friends and smoke some weed, you know, and uh, it just kind of, I, I had some teeth problems and then, you know, they give you some pills, you know, some uh, hydrocodones or whatever. And the it just kind of escalated from there to where, you know, I was like, I would take these pills and I liked it. And, uh, it just, it just escalated from there. Just kept. So you had an addictive temperament right from the get go, but you just kept it hidden. You certainly kept yeah. it hidden from us. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, uh, by definition a functioning addict for sure. Like if you looked up a pit, you know, it looked up in the uh, dictionary, there'd probably be a picture of me in there because I was definitely that. You know, I would take pills to go to work, maybe smoke some weed at work, you know, and then it was just kind of, I mean, if you were to ask Melissa, I kind of, I guess I kind of went in phases of addiction. I've probably been, you know, I'm just a functioning addict. I was, I went from smoking weed, you know, I went through like a drinking phase to where I was drinking quite a bit and, you know, Melissa, I would come home and drink at night and, uh, you know, poor Melissa, I put her through a bunch of crap. I feel bad, but, um, and then it just went to pills, you know, so I was kind of just replacing my, you know, one addiction with another addiction. And it just kind of just escalated from there to the point that it just came, became unmanageable, literally. And uh, now you had, a, you had a back issue or a knee. I think you had a, a basketball injury yeah, too. I had, yeah, I tore, I tore my ACL playing basketball. Uh, but even before that I was taking, I can remember I, I was playing in an alumni tournament at my high school and I tore my ACL playing basketball but I, I had pills. I remember I had pills in my car. I had some Roxy thirties in my car, you know, some oxycodone 30 little blue ones with the 30 on the M thirties on them. And I had some of those in my car. So I knew I'd be okay. But it, even at that point I was, I was taking a lot of, a lot of uh, narcotics, you know, doing whatever I could to get them hiding money, you know, just doing, just doing stupid stuff. And uh, yeah, but that was the knee and then the teeth and then yeah, my back and yeah, it just, uh, yeah, the knee, if I remember right, yeah, my knee, my knee got bad, but then my back, my knee got better, and then my back, my back, I hurt my back at work, and it just, it just kind of, you know, evolved into something that was absolutely unmanageable, and then. And you were, you, you were soaking all the money out of the account for your yeah, habit, too. Yeah, 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 I remember, I hit a, a credit card from Melissa, and she found it one day, and when she looked at it, all that was on it was like doctor visits, pharmacy, pharmacy, doctor visits, just, you know, going down the line and stuff. And it just, it was, it was real bad. And that was kind of like the 
straw that broke the camel's back. You know, she was just like, this is ridiculous. And then, and then she did our taxes and noticed that, uh, I was doing some super shady stuff, man. I was getting like my check and cashing it and getting a cashier's check out and then depositing that and hiding money from her. And then she saw when she did the tax, there was like a $25,000 discrepancy from what, you know, the taxes were to what we deposited. And so it was, it was just all bad. It was all bad. And, you know, so Melissa exited that relationship and we kind of all wrote you off and, you know, yeah. and uh, said, you know what, uh, the guy's a bum and he hasn't got much worth in life. And, and she went on with her life. Yeah. So what happened to you after that? Uh, well, after that, I, it, it went, it went all bad. It went downhill super bad. Um, I kind of, uh, we got divorced and I don't know, it, it hit me kind of hard. You know, I went from having, you know, Melissa and Ethan around seeing them every day and a job to just, uh, literally having nothing, you know, we sold the house and, uh, she went her way. And, uh, I, in my mind, this is what I thought I was like, I thought I did everything in life, right. This, you know, my, you know, what I was thinking and now I was kind of getting hosed and had no house in that. And so, uh, you know, I thought, well, I'm just going to go, you know, do what I want for now. And, you know, I was addicted to pills. And so, um, I just thought I'd go be a homeless heroin addict. And, and that's what I did for the next like four years, literally. And, uh, it just, uh, just went downhill, you know, rock bottom is bottom. I mean, it doesn't get any lower than where I was literally, you know, sleeping in tents on the street, staying in bridges, you know, under or staying in a, you know, underneath the bridge by the Jordan river, by the fairgrounds over here to just, you know, going in and out of jail, you know, just, just living that life. And uh, it was just all bad. And, you know, I, that during that time, of course, I didn't see, Ethan at all, or, you know, doing anything. I was just, I was just an addict, you know, searching for my next high. What's that like living on a street, living on the street without any, uh, with, a, without a home? You know, the gutter makes a decent pillow sometimes, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's, I don't know. It's just, it, it just, you know, I look back on those times now and I think that, uh, I must've been out of my mind, but, you know, going through it, I mean, it was kind of just a slow evolution because okay, so when Melissa and I got divorced, you know, I moved, we moved out of the house and I moved into my uh, stepdad had a house literally around the corner from our house. I mean, it was literally like a two minute walk from where Melissa and I lived. He had a house and he rented it to us for a while. And so I kind of, we ma I maintained that for a minute. I was going to a doctor and getting for my back and I was going to a pain management specialist and I was getting a prescription for a whole bunch of pills. And so I would get those pills and I would just sell them to this, this guy up on the east side of Salt Lake. And he'd give me, you know, I had, I would get, I was getting like 180 Roxy, Oxycodone 30s a month. And I was getting like two uh, Oxy hydro, Hydromorphones, which was like, they're super powerful. Anyway, this guy was selling, uh, I was selling to him for like $3,000 a month. So that, that got sustained for a while. You know, I was doing that where I was just selling him my pills and he was giving me $3,000 and that would just keep everything going. I paid for my rent. I would go buy heroin and meth with it. And, you know, I was just running, basically running a trap house out of this house in Rose Park where all the junkies would stay at. I mean, we kept it clean and stuff, but um, that was, that just kept that going for a minute until uh, I had, I failed a UA at the pain clinic office and then that got shut down. And then that's when I literally went homeless to where I was staying down 
here in Salt Lake and just doing, you know, just literally living on the streets and, you know, going in and out of jail and just shoplifting from stores, just, you know, supplement my habit, going around stealing people's mountain bikes, you know, just doing all sorts of crazy, crazy stuff. Just to support your habit. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, like, it takes so much courage and resources to be able to get off the streets too and to get into you know a bit more stability like that's a that's a huge feat um and you know if it were easy then we wouldn't have you know a homeless you know we wouldn't have a homeless problem so like what what sort of what sparked the change how are you able to to get out of that uh well you know Total transparency is like, I, I, I didn't, I didn't want to, I mean, when you get stuck in that, that stock mm. life, like I didn't want to, I literally had to go to jail for six months to get my mind right, you know, to get, get everything back in perspective. And, uh, it was, uh, it was, I, what I was jail like, uh, honestly, like I, I was, you know, I didn't have any real serious charges. Um, I would have like criminal, I would get charged with like criminal mischief and uh, uh, trespassing. Um, I got caught shoplifting a couple, like three times. Um, I caught with, you know, drugs a few times. That's what really got me hemmed up is the third time you get caught, you know, with a, a controlled substance. They, uh, the third one, they turn into a felony, you know, so they'll charge you with a felony. And so I, I went to jail probably, I don't know, probably 20 different times where I get booked and released. Maybe I do like a month, two months, maybe three months, you know, over that whole period of time. But this last time, um, you know, I get charged with something and you go to jail and they, they'd be like, all right, you're going to do three months. Then you get out and they're like, come back, you're on probation or whatever. And once you got out of jail, you're like, oh, screw that. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go get high. I'm going to go do whatever. And you would just kind of, you know, not care about those charges until you got in trouble again. And then you go back to jail. But this last time when they charged me with, uh, my uh, uh they charged me with a felony possession because it was my third one they were like yeah you're not getting out of jail this time and so i i literally had to do six months in jail and then i got pleaded into a what they call down here they call it drug court uh the drug court program which they say okay you're a low-risk guy or your charges aren't that serious so if you plead in this drug court program then that means we'll send you to rehab but you have to complete you have to graduate from rehab. You have to graduate from drug court, which is court supervised, which meant like every week going to court, them telling you, uh, you telling them how you're doing in rehab. You have to willingly do all this stuff. And then uh, if you su successfully complete all that stuff, we'll reduce your charges down to misdemeanors and you won't be a felon and you'll be, you know, you'll be better off. And so literally that's what I did. Uh, I went through the six months in jail and the real, the real determining factor for me was once I got those six months in jail and I got my mind right, you know, detoxed off heroin in jail, which was no fun at all. I'll tell you that much. And uh, they, uh, they said, well, here's your, you can do drug court or we can send it to you and you can get out free. But, you know, at that point I'd still be homeless. So I was like, yeah, let's go do rehab. And, and that's, that's what I went and did. And that was the next, uh, a year and a half after that, from that date, is you know I graduated all their programs and did everything right, and I mean that was like like four years ago now, five years ago, something like that. So when you were in jail, did you know inside that you didn't belong here? 
or was yeah. it, what, what was it what was that process like to come to realize i don't want to live like this anymore you know it was you know, once once i got clean you know once i literally got everything out of my system which was pro- honestly it probably took me three months in there to just literally get back to the point where I didn't have cravings or I wasn't dope sick or I wasn't like, Oh, I can't wait to get out to go to, you know, to go to the dealer's house or go down to the block to score some, you know, some black or they call it heroin down here, black, you know, to score some black or some meth or something. Uh, I just, you know, I started reading a lot in jail. The Salt Lake, uh, Salt Lake County jail has a really good library, really good library where I started just reading some books and, you know, I was just like, what am I doing? You know, because at that point I was like 39, I might even been 40 because I'll be 45 next month. So I think I was, I think I turned 40 in jail or 39 in jail, something like that. And uh, I was just like, what am I doing? You know, it's just like, I was like, I, this is no place to be. It's like, I have a son out here. I have a life and I'm sitting in jail with all these, you know, these other low life guys. And I was just like, this is not the place to be. And, and I had made you know, at that time, I, in my mind, I made the decision. I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm done with all that. I'm done with getting high. I'm done with that. I'm, you know, it just, I was just done at that point. And so when they offered me rehab, uh, and of course the rehab program they offered me was called Odyssey House. I don't know if anybody ever heard of that, but uh, Odyssey House is, you know, it's a pretty big program here. It's kind of like the, uh, uh, what do they call it? They called it the, uh, the rehab for the streets because it's a super strict program if you're on medicaid and have no money this is where you go and it's it's graduation rate our percentage is like i think like 15 percent and uh that people that graduated and uh i was i was one of those ones that graduated and so yeah i was like whatever whatever program i'm gonna go do it because i made my mind up that i was done so what happened in there to you uh odyssey house Oh, so Odyssey House is a super strict program, man. It's a, it's a co-ed program, um, just super, super strict. Uh, you can't, you can't talk to like a female without uh, what they call a breaker, which means I'd be a third-party person listening to your conversation, make sure you're not making a like, hey, meet me down in the laundry room to go have sex, or hey, do you want to you know, do something, you know, devious or that? But uh, it's. The program actually isn't hard if you're there to just do the program, but there's all these, you get a lot of, they send a lot, like we get a, we were getting a lot of like state inmates that were getting released. They, they go to this program. We'd get a lot, we'd get some federal inmates that were getting released, you know, go back to the, they would kind of transition back into society. They'd run them through this program and stuff. So we saw a whole gamut of just in, interesting individuals and, but it's a strict program. You know, you get in there, they have an orientation thing for two weeks, which means you don't, you can't talk to the outside world at all. And, you know, you all stay in one big house together. So if you can imagine when I was there, there was like, I don't know, 80 people, 70, 80 people. If you imagine 80, you know, just drug addicts, prostitutes, um, just convicts all in one house together. It was a, it was an interesting time to say the least, but I, I liked it. It was kind of fun, but it was, it was for sure. And that's where I spent, I spent a year in residential treatment, living there, working there. They give you jobs in the house. You know, you have to be up and early and doing all this stuff, you know, doing the dishes, cooking food. It's a, it's what they call a client ran program where the clients, which is me, you know, you do everything in the house. So I got a job in what they call the rentals department, which means I took care of everything in the house, you know, the toilets clogged. I have to go do it, go fix it, you know, just, you know, 
general maintenance like that. So it was a it was an interesting time for sure. You were part of a community though that was yes. supporting you. What was that like? Uh, at first, it was kind of weird because you get a you know you enter the program in orientation, which means you're at the lowest level, and in the highest level are the navigators, which means they've been there for maybe a year or so, and they have privileges where they can leave and they can go do stuff but you you can't and some of these guys are like 17 or not sorry they have to be at least 18 to go there so you get these guys that are 18 19 20 that have maybe been there for a minute and they're doing their program right and then you know i come in there straight from jail so i got some 18 year old kid who you know doesn't have much life experience telling me what to do and all that stuff and so it's uh the dynamic is very interesting to say the least would call that humility <laughs> oh, oh for sure hey i i learned i learned a lot of humility during those four years for sure and uh the one of the lowest positions in that house is a dishwasher you washed all the dishes for 80 people three times a day and i'll tell you i had a lot of bonding moments over washing dishes i like washing dishes it was fun you know we we talk in our uh, leadership programs about the the virtue of humility as a leader and it sounds like you learned that school of hard knocks huh I, I'm telling you, I, I uh, where I live now, I this building that I live in, I literally it's literally a hundred yards from where I was homeless. This building, I slept in the stairwell here. There's an empty storefront that I broke into for a whole winter every night and stayed in there for a minute. Mm -hmm. I, I I see these guys all around here, and I know what it's like. You know, I never what they call flying a sign. I never beg people for money. You know, with the signs like "Help me, I'm hungry," any of that stuff. But I've I've been you know, asleep on the sidewalk and have people walk by and say things about you or just look at you like you're nothing. Like I've, I've been there, done that. And so I, I yeah, it, I definitely learned a lot of uh, humility out there for sure. I wonder like, so, I mean, I, I teach at a, at a high school and we have like, you know, we take, sometimes we take students downtown and like the attitude with these teenagers who have are so privileged that they've never experienced anything near homelessness or housing insecurity or anything. Um, and I like, I wonder, like, have you had to had talk with Ethan about that? Like, cause Ethan is just such like a compassionate, empathetic kid. Um, like, I, has he asked about that or like, has it changed how you, you know, talk to him about that kind of thing? Yeah. I I'm, I'm very honest with Ethan about, um, just life in general. And, uh, so like when we hang out and stuff, I mean, you can ask him, I don't know how many times we've been like, so we go down here and get a, we get food wherever, like last night we got sushi and boy, he can eat a lot of sushi. I'm telling you, he can, he can put away some food. That boy. And uh, we were, we went down here to get some ice cream after we get these sweet roll tacos. And he was, uh, every time we go down here, I, I run into people we know last night happened last night. We ran into a guy from the gym. They're doing a big arts festival thing out here right now. In fact, I'm surprised you don't hear music. Uh, through the microphone because they got a big stage and all this stuff set out here but he, yeah we run into people all the time and he sees it and uh yeah i'm brutally honest with him about stuff you know i said when you see like we walk past a guy sitting there i said you know don't judge that guy because you never know what he's going through and you never know if you're going to be in those shoes again it's like don't judge him you know be compassionate be nice to him you know i don't give it i see people out here, i don't give them money but if they're hungry i'll get them some food if they need a jacket i'll give them that but I, you know, I was in those shoes where I would, you know, somebody give me 20 bucks and I would just go buy some, honestly, I just go buy some heroin with it or some meth, you know, 
just go do it. I won't go buy no food. You know, I remember going days without eating food. And uh, but I'll, I'll buy I'll buy him you know some food if he needs some shoes or whatever I'll I'll do that. Well, well, Haley, you know you know Ethan pretty well with yeah. your visits, and one of the things that I'm inspired by is, and I want to hear how the story came from uh, where you left Odyssey House and to where you are now. But uh, just before we go there, I just want to comment. I think, I mean, Ethan lives in this upper middle class you know, nice community. He's got, you know, roof over his head. He's got it pretty easy. He's a track star. You know, he's doing well academically. He's in a private school. He's got all this life, but then he comes to visit you and he gets to meet the street people and he gets to see the life that you've had in your life. And I think it's been tremendously helpful to him to be well-rounded and to see that there's more to life than, it's just that, that, than what that what meets the eye. I don't know what Haley, what your response to that would be, but I, I think it's enriched his life greatly to see this other aspect and given him a great deal of humanity and appreciation and and just a, a deep uh, I don't know how to say that. He just there's a humanity about him that is very uh, compelling. Haley, what would you say before I have you respond, Ramsey? Yeah, like for sure. Like, I think it's a, like he's, he's understood, you know, at 15, um, like, and I've had some really cool insightful chats with him. Like he's, he's able to understand at 15 that these like, like, you know, housing insecurity and addiction, that those are social issues. They're not individual issues. Um, and he's able to understand that at an, like, you know, like that, you know, I had peers in university who weren't able to wrap their head around that. I have peers now who aren't able to wrap their head around that. And he's able to understand that with so much compassion and humility at 15. It's pretty cool. Yeah, he's, uh, I, it's, it's kind of crazy. Like I, whenever I talk to him about stuff is like, my mindset is, I, I tell him, I was like, listen, man, I've, I've, I was like, whatever you're going to do, I've probably been there and I've done that. Mm -hmm. I want to be, I want, you know, I, I always say he's, he, you know, he is, he is a better man than me. So you don't want to be a 40 year old guy starting life over, which we had to do, you know, literally I went from, you know, listen, I had, I had, we had house at house, we had cars, I had a motorcycle. I mean, I ran my own business for four years, you know, so I did all that. And, and, you know, and then I was a homeless heroin addict. And then, you know, literally at 40 years old, I literally had to start life over with literally nothing from leaving jail to going to rehab. And this kind of funny story. I left jail wearing girl pants to go to rehab because those are the only pair of pants that they had for me to wear from jail to rehab. I was, I had girl pants. They were really nice girl pants and they fit, pulled it off. But, uh, <laughs> <Hey>, right. <laughs> yeah. But you know, that's, that's literally where I went. I went from jail to rehab with literally nothing. The clothes on my back that weren't even mine. And so, um, so what happened after rehab, buddy? Oh, so after rehab, let's see. So I did a year in residential treatment. Um, I reached the, you have to, uh, progress through the scales of Odyssey house. It goes from orientation. The next step is compass. The next step is compass senior. The next step is disco and then a navigator and then voyager. And then you graduate. So once you reach the, uh, navigator status, you uh, you're to that point where they're like, all right, man, you you've been here this long. You can go to Voyagers, which means uh, that's uh, uh, they call it IOP uh, uh, outpatient treatment. So that means you leave the residential treatment, 
you go get your own, you know, you're not living in the house anymore and you're out on the, out on your own. And, but they don't, they, they don't set you up to fail. There's certain steps. So in order to leave the house, you have to have a job. You have to have a place to live. You have to be semi self-sufficient. And what was really cool about this was uh, the drug court program that I was in. Um, I don't know. If, I don't know, if Dave, if you remember down here in Salt Lake, uh, they had a where where I am now. There was a this was an open air drug market, literally. Like there was when I was down here, there was literally I'm not kidding you, literally like two thousand drug addicts within like a two block area that was just an open air drug market. I mean, just homeless tent city, tents on both sides of the streets, cops everywhere. Literally like. 20 drug dealers on a corner and which is, you know, I say that now, which sounds crazy. This was like a three blocks from the temple downtown Salt Lake. And this was literally going on, but, uh, I, it was, oh, I'm sorry, I lost my place. But anyway, so when we left, I left rehab. Oh, that's what it was. Operation Rio Grande is where they tried to shut down all of these, you know, everything that was going on down here. So they pretty much came in, cracked down on everybody, sent them to jail. And I avoided that for a minute, but when I got arrested, I was considered part of Operation Rio Grande because it was that time frame. So when I left rehab, if you were doing everything good, they would give you an apartment of your choice, which is this, this apartment I'm in now, and they would cover for up to a year 60% of your rent. Wow. That's what I did. I had a job working at my buddy's pizza joint. I left rehab, came to this apartment that I now paid $1,200 a month for, but at the time, it was like a thousand dollars, and so the state, the city, was covering sixty percent of that. So I was paying four hundred bucks a month for this nice apartment, and that's basically what got me on my feet. And mm-hmm. going to um, outpatient treatment for the next six months, and then I graduated uh, Odyssey House, graduated drug court, got my charges reduced, and uh, I just started living my life. And I'm still here now. Almost, I just signed my lease again. I think this is the fourth year I've been here. Cool. Yeah. And the, what would you go ahead? I was, I was gonna. I was just gonna ask about the you know fit to recover program and all of that too. But maybe that's a different. Maybe did you have a question about that? Because like, that's a that's probably a next the next chapter. Well, what keeps you what keeps you clean and sober now would be my question. And what difference does it make? And how did you end up coming back into Ethan's life and start to really show up in the world the way that you know you're meant to? Well, you know I. Honestly, one of the biggest motivating factors for me is like, um, I was trying to break the cycle of, of, uh, my dad, my dad was never around. So my, my dad was a alcoholic. He went to prison, you know, he was a, he did some drunk driving stuff where he, uh, you know, uh, he actually, I mean, truth be told, he, he drunk driving one night, killed a couple of people here in Salt Lake and went to prison for it, you know, back in like, I don't know, late seventies, early eighties, something like that. So you know, right when I was born. So I, I never knew my dad. Like I never, I, I've, my whole life, I've seen my father probably six times, literally, uh, one of them at the wedding, you know, um, I've just literally seen him six or seven times. And even to this day right now, I don't know where he's at. We looked him up a little while ago and I think he got another DUI and I don't know where he's at. He's just kind of falling off the face of the earth, but uh, I wanted to be part of Ethan's life. I didn't want to be an absentee father. I didn't want to, I didn't want to have a relationship that I have with my dad, which I don't have. I didn't want that. You know, I wanted to be around. I wanted to see him because he's, he's a special little guy, you know, I, I, I love him so much and I care for him. I just didn't want, I didn't want him to, 
to have to go through like what I went through or how I had to feel about my relationship with my dad and wanted to be there and spend time with him. And uh, that was one of my biggest motivating factors. And what keeps me sober now, um, probably, uh, well, the gym, you know, probably going to the gym, you know, several days a week and just kind of getting my emotions worked out. I, I use a lot of the FTR to work out my, to keep my mental straight, to keep my, you know, mental health right, because I really do go to the gym, really does help me out a lot. Like it really does. And you might get a muscle or two, you know, out of it. So <laughs> do you want to tell us a little bit about FTR? Uh, yeah, love FTR, fit to recover. Um, learned about it through Odyssey House. So it was kind of a privilege to go. You had to kind of work up to it. Um, to go to FTR and uh, it, it is a privilege, you know, it's, uh, it's just, it's, it's a very cool sober gym uh, run by Ian Ackers, his name He's my, he's one of my friends, you know, I've been to his house, I've, you know, uh, he's a very good guy. Uh, he started it uh, eight years ago um, up at Sugar House Park, just running a boot camp on Saturday mornings. And it just kind of grew into this uh, sober gym that's just, I don't know, there's probably a couple hundred people that go there now and they literally probably have 30 or 40 treatment centers that they deal with and they go into the jail and they do a workout there and they have a, they opened recently opened up another gym in Orem. So there's now one in Orem and there's several affiliates throughout the country and I can't remember where the other ones, I think it's in South Africa, somewhere. I can't remember where it is exactly, but uh, it's, it's a great gym. It really is. Um, they have a foods program that I was a part of uh, for a while where, which was, which was really, really cool, but it was pre pandemic. It's kind of changed now to where, uh, you have like a nutritionist who you would go there, they call it food prep where you would go there and you could, you know, for 20 bucks, you could, uh, literally she would design the meals or he or she, whichever the nutritionist was, they would design some, so you'd go in there and there'd be like three or four meals set out with, and you would cook them as a community. And you would, you know, make these really healthy meals, you know, a meal, five meals throughout the week that you could eat and you'd cook them together. And it was just, it was great times. You, you know, you would literally cook everything from like shrimp Alfredo to a, what would you make? A sweet, sweet potato enchiladas, you know, it's really good food. And it just bonded with everybody, you know, and it was, it was super fun. And uh, yeah, the gym, the gym keeps me sober for sure. For sure. And you, you had a whole community there. and. You know, you didn't have a model for how to be a dad. Yeah. So how did they, how did how did you you created a model for yourself? How how did you do that? You know, my so my dad wasn't around, but my grandpa was around. You know, he was he would have been the father figure in my life growing up, and you know, he's just a you know Native American guy, first generation off the reservation. You know, serving World War II, and he's a super nice guy, compassionate, just a, a nice guy. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say I modeled everything after him, but he's just a super nice guy and uh, just saw how he treated us and was always nice with us. And um, yeah, I guess I kind of modeled it off after that, but I don't know. I just kind of show up and just hanging out with Ethan, you know, I just try to. Well, you're consistent. He can count on you. Oh yeah. This is what yeah, a, yeah. this is what a young boy needs. Yes. And yes, uh, I, this is probably what we all need growing up. But uh, to mo what you model is you show up at the same time each week and you're yeah. there for his track meets, you're there for his soccer games. 
Yeah. And yeah. I, I, you don't know this, Ramsey, but we talked to Melissa. I talked to Melissa. It was Haley's suggestion. I should probably talk to Melissa and get her permission and support to hear your story. So when I talked to Melissa, you know what her response was? Um, I said, do you, are you okay with us with us talking to Ramsey and getting his story? What did she say? And heck, heck, she was heck yes. He said, she said he has a great story. You got to get that story out there. So she, you have evidently earned your res, the respect of Eason's mother, and you got to yeah. be proud of that, man. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't easy. Uh, she was, uh, when I, when I came, when I came back, so, you know, when, when I was in rehab, you know, it's not just like, uh, there's so many parts of it that were missing. Like they do a lot of, uh, you know, you do a lot of work on yourself. Like you identify like your core beliefs, you identify like triggers, like there's so much other stuff. You're going to classes every day. You're doing all like you're working on yourself and you have to set goals for yourself. And, you know, they were like, what's one of your, uh, what's your main goal? My, one of my main goals was to get back in my son's life. And so, you know, once you reach a certain point, that becomes attainable. So, you know, uh, when I got out of treatment, I had my place, you know, my therapist, you know, I have a therapist, you know, you have to go see a therapist every week. And I was talking to my therapist and he's like, well, let's call Melissa. I said, I, you know, I want to get back in my son's life. He's like, well, let's call Melissa and see what she thinks. And, you know, to win her over, it took a long time. You know, she had to see, she actually came to my therapist appointments with me for, I don't know, maybe six months every week, coming with her, seeing the work that I'm putting in, you know, just because she was, you know, as any mother would be, she was super nervous about having, you know, this, you know, I'm sure in her mind, you know, a deadbeat drug addicted homeless guy coming back into her son's life, you know, mm. some, uh, it took some, uh, it took some time to get back but you know once she saw that I was putting in work and I was doing all these proper steps you know over a period of time being consistent uh it, it, it won her over and uh it got to the point you know where you know everything is uh everything's working out now you know and she you know she's she's happy with me I guess so and in my mind that's that's great well it must give you a great deal of of uh, self-respect to live with a life of integrity now how, how would you describe what integrity means to you, Ramsey? Uh, integrity to me uh, means right now is uh, is to basically, you know, just to be honest in everything that you do, like literally be honest in all your dealings with everybody, you know, because there's a, there was a time there, you know, those, those years when I was homeless where I was just a scandalous person. You know, if I saw you driving by on your $5,000 mountain bike, I would have followed you and saw where you locked it up and cut your lock and stolen your bike. You know, I would have done those things. And I took a lot, you know, I, I hurt a lot of people. Um, and so now I'm at that point where it's like, I don't, I don't take nothing. I could literally, I promise you, I could literally see like a thousand dollars on the sidewalk right here, right now. And I, I wouldn't pick it up just because it's not, it's not mine, you know, and I don't want that money anyway. And so I just, I just try to be honest in everything I do. I try to be consistent um, and just, just show up. I try to do what I say and say what I do. Honestly, that's, that's just, you know, I do what I can. I wake up every day with a honest attitude. I've been doing some, uh, I've been doing this for a while where, and I, I, I guess it's meditating, but you know, I just kind of self-reflect and 
or, you know, my day was and how it was and what I could do better tomorrow. You know, was I mean to somebody? Did I screw this up? You know, I just try to see how I can be a better person tomorrow. And, you know, that's, that's, that's where I'm at. I like that. Haley, what more do you got for, uh, for Randy? I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, what would you say? Like, I, th I think, you know, if, if you saw somebody who was in a similar situation to you, you know, on the street or in rehab or, you know, at any point in your life, you know, if you saw somebody who was going through a lot of the same struggles you did, like, would, what would you, what would you say to them? I'd just be curious, like, you know, what words of advice would you have for them? I, I, I see, I see those people almost on the daily, like at least a few times a week. Cause I, I like, I chose this place where I live. Because, yeah. um, I like keeping, I like keeping the, uh, keeping it fresh in my face. Like I see, I literally, so like I said, FTR deals with a lot of, uh, uh, rehab facilities and so I see people that come in and go out and then there's some people that show up and they show up you know for maybe three months so you see these people every time you go to gym you see that they're there and then all of a sudden they disappear you know like you have like a workout buddy you work out with there when we do you know team up with each other and then all of a sudden this guy's gone and next thing you know they end up down here and I see the guy I saw uh, yesterday Ethan and I saw this guy this guy I know that I worked at the pizza joint with and uh, he's out here just messed up on drugs, you know? And uh, what, what would I say to him if he, he sees me and he avoids me, like he makes eye contact. I saw him yesterday, I made eye contact with me and I was gonna, I thought I was gonna come say something, but a lot of these guys are embarrassed, you know? They don't wanna, they don't mm -hmm. do stuff, but long and short, what it comes down to is uh, it's up to the individual. It, it really is, you know? And I, I told this to Ethan too, you know, whenever he's had some challenges, about anything, I said, listen, man, this comes down to you. I was like, you can tell me something, you can tell your mom something, you can tell everybody something, but either A, you're gonna just become better at hiding it, or B, you're really gonna try and change and be better for it. So I said, it'll go two ways. You know, you, be, you can become worse at it and hide it better and eventually it's gonna catch up with you or you can just deal with it now and get it over with and try to learn from it. So, you know, when I see these guys out here, you know, I don't, I don't judge them. I don't be like, Hey, when are you going to get clean, man? Where do, what happened to you? Why are you doing this and that? I just talk to them, see where they're at. And I'll be like, well, man, you know, it's up to you. If you want to, you know, if you want to be clean and sober, or do you want to stay out here sleeping on these streets, you know, most likely going to die because of all the fentanyl and all this stuff out here right now. Uh, it's up to you, man. But, uh, you know, when you come back, I'll be here. So I don't, I don't preach to them. I just try to, you know, empathize emphasize empathize with them and just let them know there's a better way man if they want to go that way we're, we're around to help them ramsey any last message that you'd like to send to the world right now or is there anything that we haven't asked you that you'd like to share about your story you're going to get all our whole range of people listening in on you right now what would um, you what would you say that you would like to share with the world you know that uh, I, I've said this many times to a lot of people is that, uh, you know, God must have had a sense of humor when he was kind of, I wouldn't say planning my life, but he looked down and probably saw and he's like, oh man, check this out. This guy's going to do this and then this. And my life's been so interesting. And there's just, I mean, there's literally, I, I literally, I was thinking about writing a book called The Homeless Superhero. And uh, I thought that'd be pretty fun to do. But there's just, uh, I almost, I almost feel like I had to go through those four years of being homeless to become the person I am now, because 
the person I am now is so much better, so much just so much more compassionate and just honest and just better in dealing with everything than I was before. And granted, those four years were really, there were some fun times until it wasn't fun. And it just got real old and, you know, I had to literally be forced out of it, but I'm such a better person now than I was back then. And so people that no matter how hard something is, you can always learn from it and be a better person. Well, your story is compelling and it's inspiring that no matter how far down you can rewrite the script. Hey, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Just don't judge anybody. I, I know what it's like to, sleep behind a dumpster and eat food out of it too. You know, I, I've seen those guys and, you know, I wouldn't say just don't judge anybody because, you know, you could, you could have been that guy and I was. And and now you got to write a book, Ramsey. I would, I'd read it. I'd read it. <laughs> I know there's, I I, there's, I'm telling you, there's so many interesting stories. It's just, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, you want to make a difference in the world. You want to, you want to take your story and, and somehow or other make the world a little better, I guess. What would, yeah. be your, what would you describe as your motive behind that? Just that uh, uh, no matter how bad life is, that you can still overcome. You know, you can make something out of it. Like I said, I mean, I was, I was as low as low can get. Like, you can't get any lower than, than where I was. You literally can't. And, you know, if you're going to bet on anybody, bet on yourself and just, just try to be better. Just try to try. To, out of it but you, you'll need help along the way and i certainly had help i didn't i definitely didn't do it by myself but it's it's, it's kind well, of amazing well ramsey i gotta tell you when we wrap up our podcast we always end with a gratitude list about what we're grateful for so i'm going to start it today okay and i'm sincerely grateful for your courage i'm i mean i'm sincerely grateful for your compassion your presence and what you've done for my grandson. And you wouldn't be here today if I didn't have a great deal of admiration for you. So I'm grateful for you being in my life and I'm grateful for you being in Ethan's life and uh, for your story today and for your story, your courage to tell your story. So it's, it's a real honor and, and to be here with you today and uh, admire you a great deal. Thank you. Thank you. I love you, Ramsey. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. I, 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 love, I love you, too. I have a lot of admiration for both of you guys. Both of you guys. <laughs> so what do you, who wants to go next? You go for it, Ramsey. You go for it. All right. Gratitudes. Well, um, I guess I'm, I'm definitely grateful for second chances in life. You know, um, that's, that's one of the, that's one of the biggest things uh, in my mind is that uh, I guess one of the things I deal with is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 45 now. And uh, for four years of my life, I was, you know, a homeless heroin addict. And uh, I had to work on this a lot to where um, he's like, that's what that's what people thought I was. And it really bothered me that for four years of my, you know, 45 years on this earth that that's what people were judging me as. And uh, I wanted to change that. And so I'm grateful for second chances. Uh, I'm grateful that I'm back in my son's life. Uh, I'm grateful for, you know, another day, every day that I wake up and uh, I'm just, I'm grateful. I'm just grateful for life. You know, life is, life is super interesting for sure. And I don't know if you guys knew this, but I, I actually have a, another son. Did I, did you guys know this? 
No, I didn't know this. You didn't? No. I I I do. I have a, I have a two year two. He's two. So yeah, I met a girl right out of well, two almost two and a half. I have a son that's like two. He's two years four months, two years five months, and his name's Ezra, and he's the Ezra. I'm telling you, it's the he's asking Ethan. Ethan's met him several times. In fact, I took Ezra with me yesterday to Ethan's race. And so everybody's met him and everybody knows him. And he's just he's super, super, super cute. <laughs> like he like you got he's a just, picture? Yeah. Well, let's see. This is I don't know if you guys can see. That was that's oh, oh my goodness. My Look at that guy. Gosh. Oh, there's Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was yes, that was yesterday. But he's he's super cute. He's yeah, he's a little little two year old, and he's rambunctious and just funny and crazy. And uh, yeah, so right. you know, let's see. There there he is. There he is again. Oh, look at that smile! <laughs> yeah, he's 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 a little he's a little funny guy. And yeah, even Matt, we went to we had a birthday party for. Uh, for Ezra and they anyway they've met several times and stuff so anyway I'm grateful you know I'm just grateful for life you know uh, my mom was telling me if I went and got sober I wouldn't have you know little Ezra around either and so life life is just crazy I'm just grateful for life thank you sir that's great Haley, just, you want to finish us off yeah I'm just grateful Ramsey for the chance to reconnect with you and to to hear this because it's uh it's a it's your story is really powerful um and i'm just really grateful that you you know have the guts to share it and you know that you're making such a difference and to, to ethan and ezra and those you work with and the community you live in and it's just it's really cool i'm just i'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to, to chat with you about it because it's it's really humbling and it's just really inspiring too so you're doing cool stuff <laughs> thank you thank you it's, I, this has been fun yeah <laughs> well thank you and I, i'll help you write your book if you need any support <laughs> i i've been thinking about it i don't i don't i, I just it's basically a lot of stories i know over okay. time and i don't know how to turn that into a book just make a bunch That's of different chapters there you go yeah. the end. all life <laughs> is is story indeed okay indeed. buddy all righty we'll be talking soon there okay all right we'll talk to you guys later Take care. You bet. All right. Bye.